We're uh, beginning a series this week called Dam Busters. And it comes out of the idea that when God says something, his will is to purpose and act. His word goes out from him and it never returns to him empty. And so sometimes with the human heart, there is a wrestling, like Jacob wrestled with God. And there's a dislocation that can happen in us because he touches us and he undoes our strength, our ability to stand on our own. And then we yield. And it's like the picture behind me of water pressing up against the dam. There is the increased weight of the presence of God as we pursue him and seek his face. And the pressure builds. And if you've ever seen a catastrophic dam failure, it's incredible. But what God wants to do with us is have streams of living water flow for us not to have the spirit backed up behind things that resist his ability to flow through our lives and the freedom that he wants to bring and the joy that he wants to flow out through us into the world. And so we're going to explore some of these things over this series. Let's just read from John 7, 37 to 39. On the last day of the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare living rivers of water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. In other words, Jesus hadn't died on the cross, resurrected, and in his glory. He said, greater works than these shall you do. Why? Because I go to my Father. Because I've accomplished what needs to be accomplished, and therefore my church will go do the stuff of the kingdom. He is the source of life. He says, drink of me. Sometimes we've been educated to perceive things in a, in a very sort of materialistic way. And so we get an instruction in science class, you know, place the, you know, the, the, the wooden stick, light it on the Bunsen burner, place it in the vial, and it's gone out. What was the gas that was in there? Okay, so we work it all out as we go. But Jesus isn't saying, literally, come to me for a drink. He's saying, drink me in. Drink me in, drink me in, drink me in. I'm the source, drink me in. I'm the fountain, I'm the origin of all life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Drink me in. Drink me in. 
His encouragement is to find him as the point and the source of all that we are. Now, as we come to a series like this, we can be presented with the concept that all is not right and we need to get our stuff sorted out. And if the Spirit of God isn't flowing through us, then something's wrong. And I would argue, let's not look at it that way. You see, Jesus didn't go round people saying, you've got to sort this, you've got to sort that, you've got to sort the other. He orientated them not into their stuff, but away from their stuff and into him. Take your eyes off that. Put your eyes on me. So I don't want us to become introspective at this point. I don't want us to start looking inward. I want us to start looking outward. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one whom we want to drink in. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus expresses his heart, and I can only recommend this extremely strongly, which is Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. And if you've not been able to get hold of it yet, do, because it is a rich vein of gold that your soul wants to tap into, believe me. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, it's recorded that Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it speaks of the core central source that promotes everything that we do. We've all got different brains. Some of us have got, you know, a Nokia 310 from 1985. Or some of us got the latest smartphone that can do all sorts and roam the planet without any support system. That's our computer. But when the Bible speaks of the heart, it speaks of the core of emotional response, concept, and understanding of self and the world around. It's why God speaks so frequently to Israel about their heart being hardened. It's why Jesus proclaims that actually it's for the brokenhearted that he came. He didn't present schemes and frameworks of understanding that we can get our head into, like Plato or Aristotle or the neo-Darwinists. It doesn't do that. He creates a scheme that is profound reality upon which our souls rest. And that is him. Not ideas and concepts and bits and pieces like that. They are him. 
Come to me if you're thirsty. Come to me, you'll find rest. Come to me, the shepherd of your souls. Come to me. He just constantly draws people to himself, to himself, to himself. He is it. And I think today he wants to gently just take his hand to our face and just orientate our gaze back into his own eyes. To have our gaze fixed again upon him, the source of all our life and our wholeness and our well-being. In Luke 11, there's this teaching where he, he, goes through the, he goes through the Lord's Prayer. He teaches the disciples how to pray. He formulates a structure and in there is both the awe and glory of God as well as the immediate need. And he says, give us today our daily bread. Give us each day the day's bread that is needed. And then he goes on in, in Luke 11 and he talks about the kind of impudent neighbour who comes round in the middle of the night and... No answer. Most of us would be like, all right, I'll go back. But he's like, no. And you think this is the middle of the night. It's a bit rude, dude. You know, it's like, leave the family alone. He's like, no. He's teaching the disciples that even though your neighbour has said, look, all my children are asleep. The family's asleep. We're lined up against the door because our house isn't that big and it's going to be chaos to wake everybody and get them out the way so I can give you the bread that you're asking for because visitors have come. He says, no, no, do that. Be like that with the kingdom of heaven. Be like that with the heart of God. Take hold of him and don't let go. Keep asking. Don't turn away because you perceive the answer isn't coming quick enough. Because he says, ask and you shall receive. He goes straight on into that next bit of teaching from the Lord's Prayer to the picture of knocking on your neighbor's door in the middle of the night to ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Seek and you shall find. He ties it all together in the goodness of God and in his heart for us. He draws us back into himself. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, he talks in these terms of gentle and lowly. Gentle because, to quote Dane Ortberg, he is the most understanding person in the universe who forever intercedes on our behalf. His posture is not folded arms or a scowl or a pointed finger, but one of come, let me embrace you. Let's just take a moment. I've done this, it's really helpful. Ask Holy Spirit, show me how I perceive Jesus. Just take a moment, just ask him. Normally, Holy Spirit works in us very quickly. Just gives us a picture, gives us a word, gives us a concept. 
We don't have to work it up. Just like, yeah. If the presentation of Jesus in that picture that you've got, that word, that thought that you've got, that idea or concept or emotional response that you've got, isn't, is anything other than the incredible, all-embracing, outrageous love with open arms and a gaze that just wants to take you and draw you in, then there's some work to be done. We need to break down the dam. We need to resolve that. So if you pray with me, because I know I've still got stuff, right? So let's pray together. Father, we struggle to perceive you in your entirety in who you are. We, we know you are magnificent and it's going to be eternal journey to understand you. But Lord, where our ideas and concepts of you, where our emotional response to you, where our learnt behaviour towards you is way short of who you are. I pray, Holy Spirit, you come and minister to us now. Do a work in our hearts. Come, heal the brokenhearted. Restore your people. The other part of how Jesus describes himself is lowly. Now, often we kind of jump to the way in the manger because that's the last time we used that word, right? You know, cattle were lowing and we're like, whoa, that's, I don't really understand how that, how that rates. You know, it's weird. Anyway, that's the way, way my brain works. But actually, what we, what we see is that he subordinates himself, he places himself underneath the whole of humanity. And that means he is amazingly accessible to everyone. To quote Dane Ortberg again, he is accessible for all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness. None is more approachable. There is no precondition to coming close, no hoops to jump through. How does your heart receive that? Do you think there's some stuff you have to get right first? Some number of quiet times or behaviours or wrestling with sin that you have to overcome before you can be in his arms, in his embrace? Or is it simply that he calls you to come and rest in his arms because it's there that the fountain of life springs up? And you start to see the other things drift away. Holy Spirit, would you help us understand that Jesus said of himself, for God so loved the world so much that he sent me. And that you came to die for us. It's an outrage, it's incomprehensible, Lord, that you would do this. But you have placed yourself lower than every man, woman and child on the earth. And you, from that place, lift us all up.
I pray that anything that stands against the ability or understanding to enter into your presence through your grace would be removed this morning. That it is grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy and kindness upon kindness. We thank you that mercy triumphs over judgment every single day. Pour out your spirit on us, Lord. Minister to your people, I pray. See, Jesus in Matthew 11 frames it. He says, there's a precondition. There is one. All who are heavy, all who are heavily burdened and who labor. That's your precondition. Have you got stuff? Are you under yoke of burden? Do you need to be free? That's your precondition. Now we sang it a moment ago about surrender. I surrender. But how many of us stoically carry our stuff day in, day out? It's the British approach, right? Yeah? I mean, if it was a cartoon image, we'd be pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and all the rest with a stiff upper lip going, come on, carry on, it's all right. Jesus says, keep calm. I'm carrying it. How much of your stuff is just kind of on your shoulders and weighing on you? Could be the just 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 life. It doesn't have to be anything bad. It could just be busyness, right? You're a teacher, you're an office worker, you're a mum. It's just like it's just life. It's there's just so much stuff. But he gently leads those with young. He gently guides us through our days. There's a quote somebody who was speaking the other week. He says, Jesus never gives me more than I than I'm able to accomplish in any given day. And so we need to have wisdom about the treadmill. We need to ask questions about what we're doing with it. But we need to give him our burdens. Lord, this is more than I can carry, more than I can handle. So what qualifies us is a surrendering spirit is to come to him and rest. And it seems just outrageously imbalanced, right? But this is the nature of God. This is the kingdom of God, that we give him our rubbish and he gives us goodness, grace, mercy, peace, and love. Oh, by the way, here's eternal life thrown in. See, the thing is that as we look through the Gospels, it's been an ever-increasing understanding by so many that Jesus doesn't do stuff. He is. He doesn't love people. He is love. 
He doesn't heal people. He is healing. By being present, stuff happens because of who he is. He isn't merciful. He is mercy. It's who he is. It's this permanent tension, right? When we, when we come to worship, we want to worship him for who he is, right? And so we do that and we pursue him and we engage with him and we get hold of him. But what happens? We get touched. We see stuff change in our thinking and in our hearts and in our lives. We experience him. So there's this constant tension. We're like, well, I, I want to come and worship you, Jesus, just because of who you are. I'm not asking for anything. I just want to worship you. And as we do so, he does stuff. And we're like, well, it's not about us asking for our stuff, right? You're worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be glorified. You're worthy to be honored forever and ever. Amen. We don't want to come with an agenda. And he goes, it's just who I am. It's just who I am. Are you willing to surrender your agenda and just be and allow me to be me? Will you allow him to be him? Will you open up areas of your life for him to be more of him? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I don't know if you have been around since I shared my testimony a number of years ago. But Jane and the kids went off to um, Norfolk once. I can't remember how long ago. I think maybe Nathan was about seven, something like that. So we had, I think we had four, just about under seven, didn't we? Something like that. And, of course, my security blanket was gone. So she's up in Norfolk. I think I was doing some decorating, which, unfortunately, I'm doing now at the moment as well. And um, I'm like, oh, boy, they're not here. I've got to go to church on my own. I'm normally busy with the kids. I'm normally behind that social safety net of conversation and interaction that's okay, right? Because I can busy myself with them. I haven't got to worry about whether I'm included or discounted or rejected or any of that. I haven't got to worry about that stuff. I can just come and be and be busy, head down, it's okay. But they weren't there. So I turned up deliberately late and everybody was in here and I couldn't walk through those doors. I went and sat in the gents. I thought, I can't go in. I can't do it. So I left the room and I went out and I went home. Stuff accrues, builds up over time like little beavers building a dam in our lives, in our world. And what's most cruel is that sometimes the hurts and pain that we experience at the hands of others actually become barriers to the life and joy and peace that God wants us to have. It's the outrageous work of the enemy who comes to steal, kill and destroy. He compounds injury. And he makes it incredibly hard for us to overcome and step in. 
Because the lies build. They become the dominating language. And so we get stuck. But here's the thing. Jesus says he is the one who came to heal. If we look at Proverbs 4, 2023, the writer says this, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. It's hard, isn't it, when stuff happens to you when you're young and you don't have a framework of being able to manage the stuff that comes in. But this is the thing that Jesus does, right? This is what he proclaims when he stands up in the synagogue for the first time in Luke 4. He, he proclaims from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim to captives they'll be released and prisoners freed. It's what he does. And so whether we had the opportunity at an early stage, whether we had life circumstances that were enabling wholeness and wellness in our souls, in our hearts, or whether we've been hurt and calloused and damaged and finding things hard and built a wall of protection around ourselves for X number of years, Jesus says, this is what I came for. I came to set the brokenhearted free to bring comfort, to set those captive in their minds who've been taken prisoner by the world. I also come to free the prisoner, free the ones who've been proclaimed as guilty by the law. Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? So he comes to do that as well. So where we've been offensive towards God, he sets us free from the bondage of the law under grace through his sacrifice, now life. From those who have been captive in our thinking because of the world's ways, because of how we've been taught, he comes along and says, I'm going to set you free. And for those who've been brokenhearted and hurt, I'm going to comfort you. It's who he is. It's not what he does. It's who he is. So the encouragement is to give him more and more space. Let's just take a moment. Jesus, you know better than any of us indeed how we've been brokenhearted, how we've been captive, and how we've been imprisoned. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and minister to your body today to comfort, free, and release. Now, there's a, there's a concept, isn't there, that 
without Jesus, you need high walls. Because the world's hard. But in the surrendering song we sang, we knock down those walls. We lower the drawbridge. We say, come in. Come into the stronghold of my heart and fill that place. Be in that place above all others. So just ask him, come, dwell within my inner courts. going to have communion in a moment he says come and drink come and drink because he is the fountain the source of life and I was drawn to Isaiah 55 it's a message to Israel about their captivity and what God's going to do with them But the Spirit of God speaks in multiple ways, in multiple layers, and he always speaks truth. And so we can bring that into this context. He says this in Isaiah 55. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money. Even if you've got nothing to offer, come and drink. Come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me. And you will eat what is good. You'll enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. That's a word for us today. There's some bits in there about How do we apply our resource of time and focus and energy? Why buy food that doesn't give you strength? What are you going to do with that one? Why pay for food that does you no good? For some of us, there's a challenge there about perhaps what we watch. Why subscribe to services, to multimedia, to social media that does you no good? Come to me, he says. So I want to invite you to, we've got four areas around the room with bread and wine. And if you know Jesus as your God, your Lord, the one who's bought everything for you, then you're very welcome to come and partake. We're just going to get up. Go to one of those four corners. I'd love to uh, just leave it open now for you to um, pray with one another, encourage one another, allow Holy Spirit to minister to you as you partake in the bread and wine. 
So before we do that, should we stand together? Father, we come basically before the ultimate feast. And Jesus, you said, if you don't eat my flesh nor drink my blood, you can't partake in me. And that's just weird. But it's so true. Your death, your life, your bodily sacrifice for us is the tipping point of everything. And so we come to remember that incredible action that you did of dying on the cross on our behalf. But as we do so, we remember what you purchased in that moment. We remember that you purchased salvation, that you purchased freedom, that you purchased release, that you enable closeness and comfort to come by your spirit poured out on the earth. So as we eat the bread and we drink the wine, would you come and minister to the body today? Release your people, I pray. Let blindness, let difficulty to see you as who you are fall away. Let ears be unblocked. Let hearts be softened and melted through your grace. Bless your people. Amen.